Good morning. Good to see you in the house of the Lord this morning. We are invited, even amidst the chaos uh, that, the, that the world is going and, and wrestling with, we are given the opportunity to come and to be in the presence of a holy God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so what an opportunity we have to come today and to worship God through Christ and Christ alone. So let's do that this morning in spirit and in truth. Thank you, if you will. Now, remain standing. Turn in your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, as we read God's Word together and continue this study of Galatians and this look at what it means to be justified by faith and then to live by this very faith. Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. I remind you, this is the Word of the Lord. It says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Thank you. you may be seated. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, O Lord, for your glorious word, for your glorious truth. We think upon now the chaos and the, the turmoil within our own community, within our world. And we are reminded so often that many of us have our own truths. In our postmodern mindset, in our relativistic thinking, we believe our truth is the truth. Yet, Lord, we know that you are the only producer of truth. And your truth is revealed to us through your word as we hear and read today. Teach us, O oh Lord, yet again your truth. Reveal to us who you are through your word. Anoint my lips, O oh Lord, that your truth would go forth. The words of Christ, that the Holy Spirit would move in us, produce yet again faith in what we hear today, that we may yet again believe in Jesus Christ our Lord, whose name we pray. Amen and amen. What does it mean to live by faith? The righteous shall live by faith. What does that mean? How does one live by faith? Is it a blind faith? Is it simply faith as something that I produce within myself? What does it mean to live by faith? Think about it, and let's see what God's Word has for us today.
to trust and obey. It's actually very fitting that that is the anthem as we will look at what it means to have faith, what it means to trust and obey. We're in a world in which we are promoting a fellowship and community in which the church believes that there should be a gathering together of people, uh, which the gospel speaks to uh, unification and coming together. We are not or should not at all be surprised that Satan is using an attack of a virus to then separate the people of God, to keep them apart, to separate us from the world, to uh, encourage social distancing, which I'm not opposed to it, but let us not be surprised that this may be a weapon of the enemy to counter what we see is the purpose of the church, a coming together. And I'm not going to speak a whole lot on the coronavirus. I will maybe uh, bring some things into it a little bit, uh, into the passage. I want to preach on this passage, but just think about what we're dealing with today in um, whether or not we should take precautions. Uh, is social distancing something that Christians should practice? Is it a lack of faith? Is it a lack of trust? If we uh, don't just carry on with things, um, how should we respond to the world around us? Those are all things that I hope I can encourage you to wrestle with as we study this passage today. Because at the end of the day, what we are to do as Christians is to live by faith. But what does that mean? And how does that translate to the world today? It's very often in our life, even again with current circumstances, that there's a dilemma in our own life, right? Should I do this or should I not do that? Should we, uh, even your session, wrestle with should we have church or should we not have church? Um, are we being good stewards? Are we being faithful to God but also cognizant of what's going on in the world and the attack of the coronavirus. And so we co we are conflicted. We wrestle with these things, don't we? What I want to warn us against, though, and I will use as an illustration a very negative example, is to be like Jonah. How many of you remember the story of Jonah? Right? Jonah's all about the guy who got swallowed up by a fish and spit it out on the place that he didn't want to go, right? We think of Jonah as the rebellious prophet, the one who somehow God had to remind that he was not in charge, that God was in charge, and Jonah was simply a pawn or the one who was told to prophesy. You remember the story, don't you? Jonah fought with every fiber of his being, this call to go to Nineveh. And what was the purpose? It wasn't that, that Jonah wanted to not be obedient, right? It wasn't that he wasn't a good prophet. He didn't even come up with an excuse like, hey, I'm not a good, a good speaker here. Right? No, why did he want to go? He didn't want God's grace for the people of Nineveh. Go to the end of the story. Isn't it amazing that at the end of the story, Jonah, after, after seeing God save the people, after seeing God interact with the, the horrible Ninevites, right? Let's just go ahead and say this. They were awful people. 
They were rebellious. They were not covenant keepers. They didn't even recognize God. And, and Jonah's sitting there pleading his case like, look at those people. You really think that I need to go over there? They don't deserve your love, your grace, your forgiveness, Lord. Wasn't that his argument? And at the very end, what happens after God shows Nineveh grace and mercy? Jonah's pouting about it. And he's angry. And he says, Lord, I knew you would forgive them. Wow. See, sometimes our conflicts seem to be an argument with God that's rational, that we can make sense of. Yet at the very depth, it's really about we don't trust God. We don't believe God. We don't believe that God's mercy and grace should go to those other than me. That somehow that is reserved for me and maybe a few others. We don't live by faith and who God says that he is and what he will do is reality. So what does it mean to live by faith? Look at Galatians 3 here. As we look at this passage 3, 10 through 14, and I want to give you just a few principles of faith in this dilemma so that we aren't ending the day like Jonah and saying to God, or trying to impose on God with no authority, anything, but rather allowing God to be God and trusting in God. Maybe a good way to approach this dilemma of the coronavirus and the other things that are taking place in life. So let me give you three principles, because a Christian who lives by faith is one who lives by the gospel and not the law. That's the first thing I want you to get. You can write these down. It's okay. It really is. I want you to hopefully reflect upon it, and I don't want you to leave today and be inundated with all the social distancing and go, man, what was his first point again? And it's not that I'm arrogant and think that this is something that will be immortalized and needs to go in the Hall of Fame of, of preaching. No, but I want you to be able to wrestle with these. So remember them. And if your memory is like mine, you should write it down. Live by the gospel and not the law. Just pull it, Brody. Verse 10. Y'all didn't know I can multitask, did you? <laughs> says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So often we have in our minds that we want to take the gospel and have it in opposition to the law. And actually, that's not how God works. God actually gives his law for a purpose, for a uh, specific purpose in our life. But what happens is, as Christians, we get very confused as to what that purpose is. 
Is the law there to save us? Is the law there just to teach us? Is the law there to uh, condemn us for things that we've done wrong? Or is it something that we've moved on beyond because Jesus has given us the gospel, the good news? <clears throat> it's interesting here in Galatians, the New Testament after Christ has already ascended. Paul is using this, the righteous shall live by faith. It means we do not rely on the law. Let me qualify my statement. See, when you live under the law, you're trying to rely on this law for your salvation. When you look at the law as a means of grace, as a means to obtain God's love, we are using that as something that it has not been ordained to do. The law was not meant to. To save. As a matter of fact, the law really brings you under this curse. And this is the covenant ideology or mindset here that where God is interacting and they will have blessings and curses. Blessing if you obey and cursed if you disobey. See, we even take that and go, well, see, I need to look at the law and be obedient. I wasn't going to use this, but what we're just saying, trust and obey. What comes first? Trust. There's a theology behind even the verbiage. Trust and then think about obeying God's law. So what comes first is faith and trust. The righteous shall live by faith first. We do not live under this curse of the law. When we try to use the law as a means to obtain our salvation, we're using it wrongly in a way that God had not ordained it. Secondly, the other thing that we do um, when we try to use the law for something that it's not is we, we treat God then as a father who operates out of conditional love. We treat God as one who says, okay, when I obey, I get good things. I get affection. I get treated well, and when I disobey, then I'm treated badly, or I'm not rewarded, or better yet, I'm punished. Now, if you have children, or if you have any interaction with children, you know that children need rules. As a parent, for eight years, I have practiced many of these rules in teaching my daughter what it means to grow up with rules. What are the rules, so that you may be a good citizen in the world in which you live. Society has rules. Whether you agree with them or not, whether you like them or not, we have rules. Why? So that we are not unruly. These rules are often based off of God's law. This moral law that we see coming from God's law through time is something that many have adopted because it is good practice. It makes sense. This is what is known as, and I'm going to get technical for just a moment, the second use of the law of God. Let me speak to the uses here. John Calvin, the reformer, who you should be familiar with, writes about, in, in Institutes of Christian Religion, writes about the three uses of the law. What is the law of God and how is it important for 
the world. And there are three main things that Calvin articulates. Number one, the first use, and I would write these down because there will be a test later. God will test you, not me. The first one is the law is a mirror. It is a mirror. Calvin says that as we look at the law, it's, it forces us to look at ourselves and to see that we are not able to keep the law. We are lawbreakers. That's why Paul writes, the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. He also says, by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. So there's this idea that the law was given so that man may do these things. But when we see the law, we see that we cannot do those things. We cannot keep the law of God perfectly. And what it does then is shows us that someone must help me keep this law. Someone must rescue me from this dilemma of inheriting original sin and not being able to keep the law from breaking the law that was broken by Adam in the garden. And so then we look at this law and we see we are in need of a Savior. And then Scripture teaches us that the Savior is Jesus Christ. So the purpose of the law, as Calvin articulates, the first purpose is to show us Jesus Christ. It's a mirror. So that we look at ourselves, we see our inefficiency, and then we must look to one who has perfectly kept the law and his substitutionary atonement for our sin. So the first use is a mirror. The second is fear of punishment. Now this has less of a Christian um, articulation. The purpose here, the second use, is that it restrains the unbeliever. This is what I mentioned a while ago. Many nations and countries build their laws off of biblical understanding, moral practices based off of God's law because they make sense. They help. Thou shalt not murder. Okay? That is going to promote procreation. It's very good practice. Even the unbeliever will agree you should not murder. But that does not then make one a Christian. You see how the law does not save. Because even if we have hatred in our heart, we murder. And so the second use here really is just a restraining of the unbeliever or making society better may be another way to put it. But it's based off of a fear of punishment. So even the unbeliever can see the law of God and have a fear of punishment. But then there's a third use, a very important third use, which is the law of God is the teacher. And not a teacher for everyone. That's the second use. It is a teacher for the unbeliever. I'm sorry, for the believer. It, uh, sorry, admonishes the believer, not the unbeliever. So it is a teacher. So trust and obey. How is it that you can obey? Well, neither one of the, uh, not the second use of the law or purpose of the law, but the third, it is a teacher for those who believe in Jesus Christ. So the point here is that the law is not something that brings to us, the believer, a curse. So we should not view the law as anything but a mirror or a teacher. 
a mirror to point us to Christ in our inefficiency or sufficiency to keep the law. And as a teacher, not as condemnation. Because one who is under the law is under a curse. Again, go back to Genesis 17 and this, this idea of Abraham and the story of Abraham in which this is the context, right? Galatians 3 is in the context of Abraham. Righteousness, faith. Go back to verse 8 in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so here we see in the context of Abraham, the covenant keeper, this covenant that God established with Abraham in Genesis 17. What is it that he promises to Abraham? That through you, salvation will come to many nations. I asked, she answered, it was good. Not a curse. But a promise was given first. Notice that all the covenants of God throughout Scripture are given first with a promise. Even the covenant with Adam. You can even everything, Adam. Right? You can even everything, and your promises you have life. Just don't eat of that one. Because if you do, there's a curse. So every covenant that God gives begins with a promise, not a curse. We stand today looking at this and, and knowing that, that Abraham was given this promise. And the requirement was not obedience. The requirement was faith. And that's how even Hebrews 11 can give Abraham credit and Sarah credit for being faithful to God. Not that they kept the law, but they were faithful to God. The law wasn't intended to be one that would save. So therefore, the righteous live by faith. We live by the fact that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, was established for our salvation. That we no longer are under the curse. We'll see why in just a second. We need to be very careful of seeing the law of God as a set of rules to follow. Especially if we say it's a set of rules so that God can accept us. So it's how I get into heaven, right? If we look at the law and say, well, if I keep these things then God will like me and I will be able to enter into his kingdom upon my death. Or if we think that God responds to our obedience or disobedience. Somehow we have this theology that God is up there watching and kind of like Santa Claus, taking a list, checking it twice. And if you're obedient, guess what, boys and girls? You get a present. And if you're disobedient... You get coal. God is not Santa Claus. God is 
more than Santa Claus. And God is not looking at us to say, what are you doing well for me today so that I might bless you? Or what are you not doing well today that I might curse you? No, that is not what God is doing. That is not how he has why he has established his law. His law was established so that you may know more about him, his grace and his mercy for you, so that you may believe in him, so that you may see Jesus Christ and have faith in what Christ has done for you. There are people out here today that believe the coronavirus is some sort of a plague or a virus because of our disobedience. Now, let me nuance that out. It is based off of Adam's disobedience and the fact that sin has entered the world, but it may or may not be your disobedience necessarily. You think awfully high of yourself if God is going to plague the world based off your disobedience. The reality is, sin is in the world. And it should not surprise us that the effects of sin are things such as coronavirus. Yet we diminish the fact that God is in control and sovereign if we don't also believe that he has ordained, for whatever reason, to his glory, such chaos in our world today. See, living by faith is not whether or not you keep the rules that God has laid out. No, it's living in light of the gospel message. And what is that message? Number two, this you can write down as well. One who lives by faith is one who rests in the work of Christ alone. It means that you're not trying to keep a list so that you can go to heaven. No, as a matter of fact, Paul even articulates here in the rest of these verses what it means to live by faith. Verse 11, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Listen to what he says. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. What is he saying? He's saying here that what Adam has done in original sin and in the fall and bringing sin into the world, bringing us under the curse, you do know that the law was given after the fact that Adam fell in the garden, right? That this law was given not to save us, not to redeem us. No, that's Christ Jesus' job. Jesus was given as the Redeemer. Look at that. You want to know what the gospel is? Do you want to know, can, what am I supposed to believe? Preacher, tell me right now what I am supposed to believe. You are supposed to believe what I just read, that Christ redeemed you. Look at verse 13. Christ redeemed you, us, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. That is what you are to believe. 
that Jesus Christ redeemed you. He accomplished what you could not. And he was hung on the tree, bearing the whole wrath of God, so that you don't have to bear the wrath of God. He redeemed us. The Greek here is that he purchased or delivered us. This, um, this very uh, sense, forensic sense, if you will, in which something was redeemed or bought back. He bought you back and justified you, declared you righteous because of his work from the curse of the law. It's not the law that saves. It's Jesus Christ who saves. See, when we live by faith, we live a life where we rest in that very fact. That Jesus Christ was your substitutionary atonement. The one who was on the cross rather than you being on the cross. Some of us... You know, some of us live life like we're on the cross, don't we? we? We live life as if we're the ones bearing the burden. The whole wrath of God is upon me. The reality is, no, that's already been accomplished through Jesus Christ. Now, life may be difficult. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. If you want that, then you can show up at Sunday school. I'm not going to re-preach what was taught today. But living a life of faith means that we believe that the work of Jesus Christ is sufficient to undo what was done in the garden, the brokenness that Adam brought in. And this idea in the ancient Near East of covenant community that included curses for disobedience, that's the context. And what a story, if you want to continue with Abraham. Genesis 22, the story of Abraham and Isaac. You remember the story where God says, I want you to take the son that I promised to you, and I, the only son, and I want you to sacrifice the son. And I imagine Abraham is thinking, well, Lord, what a promise. I'm not sure how you're going to do this. You promised me that all would be blessed through me, yet you take my only child. You want me to sacrifice. Okay, so Lord, I will do that. And he's faithful and going and having everything set, set, up, uh, set up and ready to sacrifice his only son. And then we know at the end of this is his hand is withheld by the angel. And God says, no, stop. And what happens? Remember that little part of the story? He looks over. What does he see in the thicket? A ram. God provided the sacrifice for Abraham. What is this but a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ, the ram that was given for us. He says, you don't hang on a tree. You will not hang on a tree because that cursing has already been done on Jesus Christ, your, your Lord. Have faith in the fact that Jesus Christ has accomplished everything for you. So that God looks at you and says, you are my child because Christ has accomplished all things for you. You see, that's what it means to live by faith. Live by faith means not that we walk around and say, oh, I'm not going to worry about hand sanitizer. I'm not going to worry about washing up because, man, living by faith means you just do what you do and God's going to take care of you. That's not living by faith. That's just dumb. I almost said the S word, but my daughter's here, so I can't. That's just dumb. That's the substitute. You figure out the S word. 
It does, it does mean that we're prudent. It does mean that we use sense, that we're hygienically minded, if you want to, during this time. But it doesn't mean that we neglect the fact that whatever happens, Jesus Christ has saved us from our sin. That God is not, even in death, if I die, when I die, if, when I die, I'm hoping to be like Elijah here, but when I die, that's not... God's punishment for my disobedience. No, I am a child of God. And I'm that way because Christ's work has sufficiently supplied everything I need so that I may rest in Him. That's what it means. If you're walking around thinking that faith is something else, if your faith is in money, your job, your family, whether or not you have a good life, your social status, whatever it may be, your faith is wrongly placed. Living by faith means that we put our faith, our trust, that how God has it set up for my salvation is sufficient. There's nothing else needed to be added by me. Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law is in all things. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law, to accomplish what we could not. And that's what Paul is saying. Christ redeemed us. In a time of turmoil and chaos, here's what you need to cling to, that very fact. And no matter what happens, Christ has redeemed you. Today I want you to do nothing else the rest of the day. I can't force that on you. I would love for all of us just to meditate on the fact that Christ has redeemed us. Tell yourself today, you know, I'm redeemed by Christ. And let his spirit show you what to do with that. Lastly, quickly, what does it then mean to live by faith? Not only that we rest in Christ, but that we walk in the blessing of life. Now, let me qualify what it means to be blessed. Verse 14, Paul says, So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Here's a, a direct connection to the covenant of Abraham. I am, I am blessing Abraham so that I might bless you, the Gentile. In other words, a foreshadowing of the work of Christ applied to God's people. In Christ, the blessing comes. In Christ, we receive what was promised to Abraham. What is that? Well, salvation. We receive salvation so that when we rest in Christ and his work in faith, not trying to keep the law ourselves, we realize we are blessed. Sometimes we think that blessing means that life is going well. Or that life uh, means we are, when we're, let me put it this way, when we are blessed, we have things. We feel good. We're moving in the right direction. The reality is, no, when we're not doing those things, we are still blessed because we are children of God. You are called by his name. This is what I want you to see this morning. Living by faith means that you trust in Christ 
and you say, I am blessed because Christ has accomplished everything that I could not. And I don't see the law as condemning anymore. I don't live under a curse. No, I live under the promise that we see even in the Old Testament. Joel, prophet Joel. Many of us just skip over Joel when it comes time to read. Joel 2.28 is a small verse. It says, I, and, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Here is a promise of the salvation, the plan of salvation for God's people, for the worlds, the nations, for all who are called by his name. He will do what is necessary to bring about your salvation. This is what it means by God's grace. And he doesn't give us what we deserve. If he did, then he would look, there would be a different view of the law, wouldn't there? We would look at the law and go, oh man, I'm condemned. It would be a mirror. We would see ourselves, and then we would stop and go, oh, that's it. But we don't do that. Why? Because the plan is Jesus Christ is who we turn to when we see ourselves in the mirror. This plan of salvation that plays out throughout history is really a, a, a way of God to redeem his people through his son, Jesus Christ, no more. No less. I know some of us think in this complex world that that's too easy, too simple. Brothers and sisters, I sell you no more than that. I offer you no more than that. I give you no more than that. That you are blessed because you are in Christ Jesus who has done everything necessary for your salvation. You're an adopted child of God. Not because you keep his rules, his law, but because he says so. Because you have faith in his son, Jesus Christ, who has accomplished all things. There's so many uncertainties in the world. Turn on the news. Many of you have been watching it religiously, probably more than you read your Bible. Sorry, that one's free. With the coronavirus, with wars, with airstrikes, with travels clo travel closed, with countries closed, with stores out of toilet paper. I still don't understand that one with politics, with our nation being divided, you look around and you say, man, what is going on? We miss the essential question. Not what is going on, but how shall I live in light of what's going on? Paul says it as plain, day, as, plain as day. You are to live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith, putting your complete faith and trust in the work of Jesus Christ. That whatever is going on in the world, here's one thing that I guarantee you you can be certain of, and that is this. The curse of the law has been removed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if your faith is in that, you are secure. Rest 
Trust. Believe in that. Don't be inundated with all of the noise of the world. Don't be consumed by all the uncertainties of the world. Don't fall to that very trap and say, I'm not sure what's going on in this world. And begin to lose faith and hope in the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And at the end of the day, when you lay your head down and you wonder, did I do things rightly today? May your mind quickly go to this simple fact. It doesn't matter. What matters is, is my faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord? Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the promise of salvation to those who believe. Lord, I pray that those who would have ears today would hear. Those that do not have ears, O oh Lord, I pray that you would open them, that they may see Jesus Christ and that their faith may be placed in him and in him alone. Lord, teach us how to live by this very faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let us receive the benediction. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion, now and forevermore. Amen.